have needs and desires and seek to discover our own erotic journey, you've come to the right place. This is Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver, presented by SDC. In the next hour, we're here to answer your burning questions about relationships, sexuality, and health from the leading sex experts and professionals. Now, here is your host, Lexi Silver. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm your host, Lexi Silver. Do you want to know what people fantasize about? Of course you do, dirty perverts. I know I do. Well, today we're going to be talking all about sexual fantasies, including those incredibly taboo ones that people might be a little bit too shy to talk about. But because, you know, over here on Seek, Discover, Create, no topic is ever too taboo. We're going to talk about some of the most popular sexual fantasies, gender differences in the types and frequencies of sexual fantasies, how having sexual fantasies can be beneficial to your mental health and to help you explore your sexuality, or like I like to say, your lexuality, and much more. So before we start our chat with Dr. Lee Miller, I want to thank our sponsor, SDC.com, your and my expert source of exclusive information about sex, health, and relationships, where you'll get access to the world's largest lifestyle dating platform of over 1 million members worldwide. Use my special promo code 7070 to get two months free at SDC.com. That's 7070 to get two months free at SDC. So... If you haven't heard of Dr. Lay Miller and his influential works yet, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, or maybe a lot, um, because he's involved in so many projects that are worth mentioning. <laughs> so he has a PhD in social psychology from Purdue University. He's a three-time honoree of the Certificate of Teaching Excellence from Harvard University, where he taught for several years. He's also a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute, which you've probably heard of, and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life, and we'll tell you later on how you can get your hands on a copy. He's also written the textbook entitled The Psychology of Human Sexuality, which is used in many college classrooms, and he's quite the prolific researcher with over 40 academic works published in all the leading journals on human sexuality, including the Journal of Sex Research, Archives of Sexual Behavior, and the Journal of Sexual Medicine. The articles he's written on his popular blog, Sex and Psychology, which is really, really, really worth it. You go take a look at that when you have a chance. It has been syndicated on major websites like Business Insider, Huffington Post, and Thought Catalog. As a freelance writer, he's been featured in major publications like Playboy, USA Today, Vice, Psychology Today, and New York Magazine. And Dr. Lee Miller is also an expert speaker and has given talks all around the world on sex, love, and relationships. He's been interviewed by numerous media outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Boston Globe, CNN, and the Globe and Mail, to name a few. And he's also appeared on several episodes of the TV show Taboo on the National Geographic Channel and has been a guest on many podcasts and radio shows, including the Savage Lovecast, BBC's Up All Night, and several NPR programs. And now he's here with us on Seek, Discover, Create, and I am so excited. So welcome to my show, Justin. Can I call you Justin? Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much. I've been uh, really, really excited about this. Um, I'm a big fan, and I'm feeling a little fangirlish right now, which is a little unusual for me, um, but I'm, uh, I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> I've been really, really, really excited to talk to you about sexual fantasies because I'm curious about it. I know lots of other people are curious about it, and clearly you are too because you've been, you know, you've done a bunch of studies about this. So um, let's start from the beginning, okay? What constitutes a sexual fantasy? Good question. And the way a fantasy is defined is really as any mental thought or picture that turns you on, right? So it's um, something that also happens while you're conscious, while you're awake. So a fantasy is different from a sexual dream. You don't have control over your sex dreams. They just pop in your head while you're sleeping. And the content of your sex dreams may be very different from the content of your sexual fantasies. So uh, a sexual fantasy is this conscious mental thought you have that turns you on. Ooh. And does everyone have sexual fantasies or just pervs like me? <laughs> all, 
Almost everyone does. Uh, in my own research, and if you look at the broader literature on sexual fantasies, it's 97 to 98% of people who report having sexual fantasies in the way that I just defined them for you. Okay. So there's about 2 to 3% of people who don't have them. And I think that's a really interesting group to, to think about. Um, you know, so it could be that some people just don't want to admit or report that they have their fantasies. Uh, but it could also be that there are some people who legitimately don't have fantasies at all. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's something I've learned about recently called aphantasia, where some people have this inability to voluntarily visualize any mental imagery. And yeah. so for those individuals, they just might not be able to have fantasies because they literally can't create a mental picture. That's very interesting. Um, I actually heard about that. A friend of mine just told me that um, they realized that that, you know, they fell into that category, which I found fascinating. Look at all of those people who are having these sexual fantasies. And, you know, there, there are so many different kinds. Um, there, I want to know more about that. So let's talk a little about that survey that you did about um, people's sexual fantasies. And what was what was your goal with that study? What were you trying to explore? So for the book, Tell Me What You Want, I surveyed 4,175 Americans from all 50 states, ranging in age from 18 to 87. Uh, they represent diverse backgrounds in terms of their gender, their sexual orientation, their relationship status. And what I wanted to do was to survey a very diverse group of people about what it is that they're fantasizing about, and then also collect information on their personality, their sexual history, and kind of look at what people's fantasies say about them. And I wrote this whole book that is designed to look at what people are fantasizing about today and how our fantasies are connected to, to us, you know, what, what some of these fantasies reveal about them, and then also look at what happens when people start sharing their fantasies with a partner or acting on them. What are their experiences like and what are the factors that predict better versus worse outcomes? So this is a book that is very ambitious and tries to address a lot of different aspects of fantasy that I don't think have been as fully explored in the past as they could have been. Oh, definitely. And I mean, that's so enlightening. You, yeah, Your findings were really, really interesting. Um, and I, I'm really curious about, um, and I'm sure lots of people who are listening right now are also curious about this, but um, what types of factors um, did you find can influence the types or frequency of, of sexual fantasies that a person might have um, over the course of their lives? A ton of different factors. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do this. <laughs> Uh, the way I think about fantasies is that they're sort of this um, biopsychosocial phenomenon. And okay. by that, I mean there are these biological and evolutionary factors that influence them. There are sociocultural factors that influence them. And then there's also our own unique individual psychological factors. And all of these things come together to conspire to um, influence whether we have fantasies at all, also the frequency with which we have them, and then the content that they have as well. So our fantasies are a function of uh, certain personality traits that we have. So for example, if you're somebody who is very extroverted in real life, you tend to be pretty extroverted in your sexual fantasies, right? You're going out and meeting lots of new people, let's just say. Um, but your fantasies also say something about your gender, your sexual orientation, your age, you know, where you are in life right now uh, is very much related to your sexual fantasies, which I think is really interesting and something that no published research has really explored before because almost all the research on sexual fantasies that's published is based on college students. And one of the things that uh, I argue is that college students are actually the least interesting group of people you can study <laughs> if you want to Don't learn about sexual that. fantasies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's not to say that they aren't interesting. It's just that they have the least diversity in the content of their fantasies, right? Because sex is still new to them. They haven't been mm -hmm. doing it very long. And so the really interesting people, you know, I think as a sex researcher, are people in sort of the 40 and 50 year old age group, um, because their fantasies become much more adventuresome. And, um, and I think a big part of that is just because their life circumstances are pushing them to go explore novelty. 
Ooh, okay. Very interesting. And um, I, I mean, I can imagine too that over the course of a person's life, you know, their sexual experiences as they've experienced different things, they've, you know, they're, they're trying to open up their sexual boundaries maybe a little bit more. You know, we were talking about gender a little bit and, uh, you know, I'm curious uh, about, you know, the differences that you found, if any, uh, between, um, you know, the different genders and the types of uh, fantasies that people might have and maybe even the frequency. I think a a lot of people are under the assumption uh, that maybe men tend to report having more sexual fantasies than women. Um, what did you find? So men do tend to report having more sexual thoughts, more sexual fantasies than women do. Um, and that's been a finding in study after study. However, we don't know to what extent that might be men over-reporting and women under-reporting thoughts about sex because we know that societally... <laughs> you know, men and women are socialized to think about sex and talk about sex in different ways. So, yeah. you know, you can take that finding for what it's worth. Uh, but one of the things that I found in my research is that there was actually very striking similarity in the content of men's and women's fantasies. Um, and most of the things that we think of as, say, a typical uh, quote-unquote male desire um, are actually things that most women are fantasizing about too. And, you know, the things that you know, we think about it or stereotype as feminine desires or things that most men are fantasizing about. So, um, you know, to give you a couple examples, uh, threesomes and group sex, you know, 85, 90% of both men and women in my sample were fantasizing about that. Um, also, passionate and romantic sex, right? This is something the vast majority of my participants, regardless of gender, were fantasizing about too. And I think those are two examples of fantasies and desires that we stereotype with and associate with one gender, but that almost everybody is fantasizing about. Um, now that said, there are some differences, right? So although most men and women have, say, threesome fantasies, men do fantasize about threesomes more often than women do. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, a couple other areas where there were differences were that women had more BDSM fantasies than men mm. did. Uh, and then men had more taboo sexual fantasies than women did, right? So th there are some differences, but for the most part, we have pretty similar fantasy repertoires. Interesting. I wonder why that might be that uh, women tend to report having like, I guess, I, I won't say kinkier specifically, but you know, BDSM uh, fantasies. Um, I wonder if it's more just having to do with like the, the whole idea of being submissive, which actually we're going to talk about a little bit later, because uh, I know that ties into another very taboo fantasy um, that, uh, <laughs> that people have and that nobody really likes to talk about. Um, but so that was a really interesting as far as gender goes. What about sexual orientation? Were there any differences in people um, that, you know, well, reported differences in anybody who uh, might be identifying with different sexual orientations? Are there differences in the kinds of fantasies that they have as well? So this is one of the things that was really interesting to me, because if you look at past research on sexual fantasies, basically they said there's no differences based on sexual orientation other than the gender of the partners you're fantasizing about. Okay. Uh, however, what I found in my research was that people who identified as anything other than heterosexual, um, they had more diverse fantasy content. They were fantasizing about more taboo things. Uh, mm. They were fantasizing more about non-monogamy. Uh, and uh, so, so there, were, there were some differences there based on sexual orientation. And I think part of the reason for that is because when you're a sexual minority, you've already broken one sexual taboo. And so it makes it less costly to violate other sexual taboos. And so maybe <laughs> that sort of opens the door to exploring and experimenting with your sexuality more broadly. Are they also experiencing different frequencies of fantasies as well? Versus people who maybe are, you know, are reported heterosexual? You know, I don't recall off the top of my head if there were differences in sexual fantasy frequency uh, based on sexual orientation, but there was a difference based on whether people had acted on their sexual fantasy before or shared it with a partner. So sexual minorities were actually more likely to have shared and acted on their sexual fantasies. Um, and I think that makes sense because if you look at sort of the broader literature and research on sexual orientation, uh, people who identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual, 
uh, and so on, they tend to have more open sexual communication in general. So it makes sense that they'd be talking more about their fantasies. Oh, yeah. It's like you're in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. So, um, you know, something else that I found really interesting um, when I was looking at the results of of the study um, or of the survey uh, is you found uh, that women who are ovulating um, have more frequent sexual fantasies than at any other time of their menstrual cycle. So why might that be the case? Is it just like a reproductive thing, just like total biology? So th- that wasn't something I specifically studied, but I've, okay. I've written yeah. about uh, okay. the ovulation research. And there, there's a lot of research finding that there are these sort of menstrual cycle shifts that happen in women's sexuality. And specifically when women are ovulating and they're at, the, and they're at that most fertile point in their cycle, um, we find that women's sexual thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors seem to change in a way that seem to increase their interest in sexual activity. And the thought there is that there's sort of an evolutionary explanation going on that maybe it would make more sense for women to become more interested in sex uh, at the time when they're most fertile in the interest of promoting reproductive success, right? It, it makes sense from that sort of evolutionary framework. Oh, definitely. I know for myself personally that around um, that time uh, of the month when I'm a little bit more, you know, I'm, I'm ovulating, I'm feeling a lot hornier, I, I want to dress up a little bit differently than I normally would. Um, my fantasies are... I mean, let's say a little bit more dramatic than normal. Um, <laughs> I guess that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, my partner certainly benefit from that. So um. <laughs> there's also a, a fun, interesting study looking at um, uh, female exotic dancers who are ovulating versus not and looking at the tips that they get when they're working in clubs uh, based on sort of, you know, where they are in their menstrual cycle. And what they find is that when um, uh, a dancer is ovulating, she gets more tips than oh. at any other point of her cycle. And compared to dancers who are on the pill who don't have those, you know, same shifts in their cycle, um, you know, they don't have a peak in their earnings at any time of the month. So that's consistent with this idea that, you know, women's sexual behaviors are changing, the way they're carrying themselves is changing, um, and and that maybe men are even picking up on that uh, and expressing greater interest as well. Huh. Very interesting. Okay. So if there's something that I want in general, maybe I could apply this on a broader scale and kind of ask for it a little bit more when maybe I'm carrying myself in a little bit more of a confident or sexual way. Maybe okay. so. Maybe. All right. I'm going to test out this theory, this, this random theory that I have. I'm going to test that out later on. Yeah. Report, report back. We'll do that on the next podcast. <laughs> it sounds like a plan. So... I was really interested in what you said before about um, this idea of women having these more, uh, having more BDSM fantasies. And I'm going to talk about something that is probably the most taboo thing I've ever talked about on the show. And that's rape fantasies. Okay. So um, I, I've spoken to a lot of women and pretty much across the board, uh, they've all reported having at least one, a fantasy like this. And um, I think that a lot of people, when you say I've had a rape fantasy, they freak out because they have no idea what that means. They, ha- they completely misunderstand what it means when someone has a, a rape fantasy. So um, I know we're definitely on the same page about this. So can you talk a little bit about um, this idea of fantasizing about forced sex and what it actually means mm-hmm. when someone fantasizes about it? Yeah, so... Uh, Forced sex fantasies are fantasies where you are imagining somebody else uh, taking you against your will, essentially. But in the fantasy, you're still in control of the situation, right? You dictate who the partner is. You dictate the direction the scenario goes, the, what your limits are, and so forth. So I think it's very important when you're talking about a forced sex fantasy to distinguish that from the reality of sexual assault, where in that case, um, you know, there is a victim who does not have that control and say over how the encounter goes. Um, so in a forced sex fantasy, you know, I, I think when we use the term rape fantasy, I think 
that's where people get very uncomfortable because it, you know, sort of seemingly conflates the fantasy with the reality of sexual assault. And so I think that's part of the reason people sometimes prefer different terminology for these fantasies. Some people refer to them as ravishment fantasies or consensual non-consent fantasies, right? Um, and I think maybe if we change the terminology surrounding them, it might make it easier for us to have some of these conversations about them because, you know, I think it is very important to, to separate this fantasy from this reality because it is not at all the case that uh, women are fantasizing about, you know, wanting to be sexually assaulted. That's not what's going on there at all. And I, I love that you're talking about the terminology and, oh my God, I love what you just said to ravishment. I'm like, oh, that's hot. That sounds sexy like that. And that is exactly the idea um, is, you know, um, myself included, uh, the idea of being um, just taken. You have the power to say yes, no, you choose your partner, all of that stuff. But um, that idea of giving your control over to someone else, it's also, you know, there's an overlap there with the whole uh, concept, the whole psychological idea of BDSM in general um, and being submissive uh, in that kind of a scenario it's it there's there's definitely a parallel there so there there is and you know I think there's also an element of just wanting to be desired in this overpowering way right somebody wants you so much that they can't control themselves right and I think that's another element of it too and one thing that I think is important to note is that you know yes most women report having these fantasies and my research was about 66 percent who reported having had a for sex fantasy before, but actually more than half of the men had had these fantasies before as well too. So it's not just women uh, who, who fantasize about for sex, men fantasize about having sex forced on them too. I'm curious about how people talk to their partners about having these kinds of fantasies and trying to, I guess, maybe make them come to life and maybe try to get their partner to understand what it is that they actually want. Um, how would a conversation like that even start if I were to want to tell my partner, um, I have this, this fantasy, uh, you might think it's crazy, but this is what I want. How would that play out in an, I, you know, in maybe a good communication um, scenario? So are we talking specifically about the, the ravishment? ravishment and- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I think this is one of the cases where, if you're, say, with a new partner um, or, or with a partner that you're not very sexually experienced with, that's not the fantasy you lead with, right? Uh, I, I think when it comes to sharing your sexual fantasies with your partner, you need to back up first and just start by sharing some of the more vanilla kinds of fantasies that you have um, and, and just get practice talking about sex and sexual desire. And the goal there is really just to build up trust and intimacy and sexual communication because those are essential components when it comes to acting on any fantasy and especially when it comes to acting on, say, a, a, a ravishment-type fantasy. So you know, start first by building up the trust, intimacy, communication. Um, and then once you've built that to a point, you can start exploring some of the more adventurous and fantasies. Um, but, but definitely you need to talk through it first, establish safe words, uh, you know, clearly establish what your rules and limits and boundaries are. And, um, you know, th- this is one of the fantasies where people report a lot of hesitancy about acting on it, right? Uh, Because you're giving up that control that you have in your head to someone else. So this fantasy in particular, approach with caution, and definitely you need that that trust, intimacy, communication, and safe word uh, if, if you're going to explore that. Oh, thank you. That was perfect. And I agree about, I I mean, I talk all the time about communication, how important that is to uh, any relationship and also to, you know, any sexual experience to be able to, you know, let your partner know what it is that you want and to be clearer um, if possible uh, about what it is uh, that your, uh, your personal boundaries are, your comfort zone is, and to kind of make sure that you're enjoying the experience as much as possible because you're within all of those boundaries, because your partner uh, already has an idea about what you do like or what you, you know, might not want to participate in. So, um, no, that's perfect. That's awesome. And it's, also, it's also important with, with these fantasies and with a lot of other fantasies to, you know, 
don't go into it when you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol and so forth, right? Because those substances can interfere with your ability to pick up on your partner's consent cues. They can interfere with just general ability to communicate. And so you also have to just think about the way that you're approaching sex and make sure you're going into it in a very safe way. Oh, thank you. Thank you for adding that uh, as well. And of course, you know, if your partner is or, or you uh, are completely sauced, um, you can't consent anyway. Um, so that's definitely not an ideal scenario for anybody to be engaging in uh, ever. So, um, yeah, no, I, I thank you. I appreciate you adding that in. <laughs> um, let's talk about another taboo fantasy um, that I know uh, men and women both have. Um, and that's the cuckolding, the concept of cuckolding or cuckweening uh, in mm-hmm. the case of a woman. And uh, they, they seem to be very popular and they're kind of, you know, I mean, if we look at just like Pornhub search terms, um, <laughs> we know that there are a lot of people who are looking at that um, on SDC.com uh, where we have a ton of, you know, sex ed uh, resources. We, cuckolding is a huge, huge, huge category for us. There's a lot of people who are looking at that and trying to understand what it is and um, trying to understand really the dynamic that's there. Uh, So why might someone fantasize about being a cuckold or being cuckolded or cuckweaned? So in case anyone listening is unfamiliar with with what this is, um, when we're talking about cuckolding or cuckweaning, it's basically watching your partner have sex with someone else. And, you know, the term cuckold, we usually use if it's a male identified person, cuckween, if it's a female identified person doing the watching. And there are a couple of different explanations or reasons why people might find this appealing. Um, For some people, it's really kind of a, a BDSM practice in some ways, right? Because uh, the person who is watching might be humiliated in the process, right? So they're watching their partner have sex with someone else and maybe their partner is, uh, say, humiliating them for having a small penis, right? And say, my lover's penis is so much bigger than yours. Um, so, so humiliation is an aspect we often see here. Um, there is also a dominance submission dynamic, right? Where the person who's watching is taking on this submissive voyeuristic role, the person and their partner is taking on this exhibitionistic, somewhat dominant role, right? So, um, you know, as an expression or variant of BDSM play, cuckolding is appealing to some people. Um, However, for other people, the appeal is really just in watching their partner be pleasured, right? Seeing their partner's pleasure is a big turn on to a lot of people. And then there's also some people who just, they derive pleasure from knowing that other people really want their partner, right? And so that reflects positively on you, right? Knowing that your partner is so hot and yeah, they're going to have sex with someone else, but they're going to come home with you, right? So there can be different psychological motives there in terms of what motivates this behavior. Oh, great. And it's great that you're also adding in that it's it could go beyond the idea of, you know, humiliation and all of that, which I think a lot of people, or at least the people who, you know, talk to me about that, they're like, oh, that's, you know, that's all about, you know, humiliation. I don't want to be humiliated. It's like, okay, um, do you want to watch your partner, you know, being pleasured? Like you said, do you want to see them being desired by someone other than you? Um, and I know for, for myself and for other people who are in the consensually non-monogamous community, this is something that is appealing to us. Um, And so these kinds of fantasies actually are often, (laughs) these are the kinds of things that you often see, even without the humiliation aspect as well. Yeah. And and this is another area where sometimes different people use different terminology based on whether there's a BDSM element present or not. So so cuckolding, a lot of people just assume or infer the BDSM element. Um, But there's also this term hotwifing that's often used, right? Um, And and that's usually... uh, you know, man who's watching his wife or girlfriend have sex with someone else and there's no BDSM element there. And it's really more about her pleasure and about, um, you know, the uh, enjoyment or pleasure he gets from knowing that other people find his partner to be so hot and attractive. 
I love that. It's also a huge category for us on SDC and super popular. I mean, and I, I just did a podcast recently about this too. I've done several about um, hot wifing and why it's so popular. I think though, for some people, um, it, you know, it might be a little bit hard for them to um, understand, like, for example, the differences uh, between hot wifing and cuckolding and that BDSM element, uh, especially if they've never experienced any kind of BDSM element before in any of the other play that they've done. That idea of being um, the, the submissive idea that the person who is watching is submissive. In these kinds of fantasies, um, you know, usually, it, I mean, as far as I'm aware, um, it's the person who is fantasizing about being cuckolded or they are the cuckold or cuckween in the scenario uh, are watching but not participating, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's like a threesome, but not everybody is you know, mutually participating. And it, it can take a lot of different forms. You know, sometime the cuckold is watching their partner like in the same room, have sex with someone else. But other times uh, they just give their partner permission to go out and have sex with someone else. And then they just want to hear about it when they come home. Um, I, I've also talked to some people who, uh, you, you know, sort of, they don't want to be there physically in person, but you know, they want their partner to call them like intermittently during the scenario <laughs> to be like, Oh, I'm in his hotel room now or something, you know, and it's, it's sort of like this live action narrated scenario. You know, there, there's so many different ways that people express this fantasy. And that's one of the reasons I find it really interesting and have studied it. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, it's all sounds so hot and fun and, you know, <laughs> Like, I mean, it, it's great if, you know, you're in a relationship and that's something that, you know, turns you on, turns your partner on, you want to play like that. It's great. I mean, uh, to each their own. I think it's just a lot of fun to, to be able to kind of report back and tell them li- like that live <laughs> kind of <Right>. play. <laughs> I know some couples like to also send pictures um, mm-hmm. or little short videos of things that they're doing uh, with the other partner to um, the person who is being, um, I won't say cuckold in this case, it's more a hot wife scenario, but yeah, it's, it's super sexy. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, we're talking about taboo fantasies, and this is one that I know um, a lot of people experience. And um, I think that it's it's taboo because nobody really likes to talk about this. Um, there's so much taboo around this idea, and that is, um, you know, the idea that people who are who identify publicly as being heterosexual um, seem to have fantasies um, about people of the same gender or people who identify as being of the same gender. I know that this might especially be uncommon for people who are, um, you know, really uh, in maybe more conservative backgrounds, uh, that this might be a common fantasy for them specifically. I'm not really sure. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. So it is surprisingly common for people who identify as exclusively heterosexual to say that they've had a same-sex fantasy. And in fact, I find that a majority of the women in my sample who said, I'm exclusively heterosexual, said that they'd had a same-sex fantasy before. Uh, And it was around a third of the men who said they were exclusively hetero who um, had had a same-sex fantasy too. So women are more likely to have those same-sex fantasies than men are, Um, but certainly we see a lot of men and women uh, who who are publicly saying, I'm heterosexual. Um, They're still having these mental thoughts and images about partners of the same sex. Um, Now, in terms of why that is, right? Uh, There are different explanations and schools of thought there. Um, And, uh, you know, I think it's useful to to sort of keep in mind this concept of sexual fluidity, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the idea that our attractions might not necessarily be stable over the course of our lives. This isn't to say that people are, you know, choosing their sexual orientation or anything like that. Just that maybe our attractions aren't you know, set in stone at this early age and and remain that way for the rest of our lives, they may evolve and change in response to different life circumstances and also just different people we meet that happen to strike us as attractive for some reason. Oh, good point. I love that concept of sexual fluidity. Even if you are having sexual fantasies of somebody, uh, sorry, if you even if you are having sexual fantasies about someone of the same gender and you still identify as heterosexual, it doesn't necessarily mean um, that you know you uh, have just discovered that you are bisexual. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have just discovered uh, that you're homosexual. Um, it's you know you could just be a little perv like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it could also 
indicate that you just might have a very active imagination or you might be somebody who's very high on the personality trait of openness to experience. Um, because I find in my sample that people who score high on this trait of openness, people who report having very active imaginations, they fantasize more about almost everything. And it's important to note that, you know, just because somebody has a fantasy about something doesn't mean they want to do it, right? The thought just might pop into their head and turn them on. And, and maybe it just does that because they think a lot and they just have very diverse fantasy content. And I'm very glad that you mentioned that because my next question for you um, is something that's super relevant because I think, you know, most people who are in uh, relationships or sorry, most people who are in monogamous relationships, traditionally monogamous relationships, uh, think that if their partner is thinking about having sex with someone else, that means that they want to cheat on them. Um, I'd love for you to speak to that because, I mean, I personally think that it's normal to have those kinds of fantasies or any kinds of fantasies uh, like that. Um, you know, it's normal for us to be attracted to other people and imagine, you know, maybe what it would be like to be with intimate with them. Uh, so what, what is, what does that mean? Um, do you think, or what would um, that mean if somebody is just, uh, you know, attracted to or fantasizing about somebody else that's not their primary partner? So, it would be highly unusual for somebody to just fantasize about one person and one person only for their entire lives. <laughs> um, what I see in my research and in a lot of other sex research is that most people fantasize about a range of, of partners. Um, interestingly, most commonly, the single person who is most likely to appear in your sexual fantasies is your current partner, if you have one. And if you're single, you're most likely to fantasize about an ex-partner. Um, so, so our partners do appear in our fantasies frequently, but most people also have, say, a celebrity fantasy or a fantasy about a friend or a stranger or, um, you know, just sometimes a, a vague, anonymous person, right? Um, and this doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or your partner or your relationship. It's not necessarily a sign that, you know, you want to leave or that you're going to cheat or anything like that. Uh, it, it really stems from the fact that human beings experience something called the Coolidge effect, which is basically a term that sex researchers use to refer to this idea that our sexual responses to the same stimulus tend to decrease over time. Uh, the base, in other words, we, we need novelty, newness to kind of keep our sex drive and our arousal amped up. And so when you have the same partner and you're engaging in the same sexual activities over and over and over, um, we tend to lose interest in that. that. That's normal. That's common. And that's why we need to keep adding and interjecting novelty in our sex lives to keep passion alive and to keep that sexual excitement there. Uh, so, so our fantasies are one way that people do that. You know, they think about a new partner, a new activity, and it amps up that novelty factor and increases arousal. And it, you know, again, it's not a sign of pathology or problems. It's just a normal part of human nature. Oh, I, well, I mean, I fully agree with that. Um, <laughs> and I think the uh, idea also of novelty does definitely apply to uh, people who are fantasizing about having a threesome, uh, which I, I know is like one of the most common things. And especially when you are opening up your relationship to, uh, I would say, just starting even with the swinger lifestyle or, you know, any other kind of uh, consensual non-monogamy, the idea um, of having a threesome with someone else, bringing someone else into uh, your your, your dyad um, is so common. The first thing that most people do when they get into the swinger um, lifestyle is they're looking for a unicorn to add uh, to, or a manicorn uh, to add to, um, you know, the fun. Um, because, you know, that novelty is there. They still want to keep, they, they still want to be with their partner, but they're looking for um, another person to add a little spice to the mix or maybe several other people in the case of group sex. Um, so have you, I mean, we, we talked a little bit, we just kind of brushed on it before about, uh, you know, uh, the people who are fantasizing about threesomes. So um, is that like just maybe a, like super common across the board as far as like fantasizing about threesomes and group sex and maybe crazy Roman orgies or who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I asked people to describe their favorite sexual fantasy of all time and then also to sum up their favorite fantasy of all time at one word and the single word that people used most often was threesome and fully one-third of my participants is four thousand some people fully one-third of them said that threesome was their favorite fantasy of all time and then if you looked at whether people had ever had a threesome fantasy it was you know somewhere around you know 80 to 
90% of both men and women, right? So this is super, super common. Um, most people have also had orgy fantasies um, and uh, gangbang fantasies, right? So, so group sex is just a pervasive theme across the board for everybody, regardless of gender and orientation. I mean, it's maybe it's because it's just like really hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the idea of more than one person wanting you at the same time is also that whole like, the, yeah. like you were saying before, you know, the ravishment fantasy, you know, really, um, really uh, wanting to feel desired to that ex- to that extent. Uh, the idea also of being in a threesome or in any other group sex scenario is just the idea that more than one person wants you and they all just can't keep their hands off you um, or mouths or whatever other body part you want to add in there. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would say more often than not in the fantasy scenarios I read, people describe themselves as wanting to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we look at sexual fantasies, people have a tendency to get hung up on the specific activity that's taking place. But I think it's really interesting to look at what is the emotional subtext of this fantasy. And in threesome and group sex fantasies, there's this wanting to be wanted element that often really comes out that, that is really the, the true need or desire that they're trying to fulfill through that, say, group sex situation. I think it's just a matter of wanting to release our inner porn star. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then, you know, there's also the exhibitionistic element for some people, you know, where you're sort of putting on a show for other people, uh, or or also the voyeuristic element of you just wanting to watch others or uh, to, to have that visual stimulation. It's like you're watching porn while you're having sex, right? So there's lots of different things you can get out of that kind of scenario. Oh, for sure. I really feel like during this whole thing, you're just like in my head right now um, because I have all of those fantasies. And I mean, most people who know me know I'm a little bit or a lot of bit of an exhibitionist and a voyeur. All these different fantasies um, are are really interesting. And the fact that we have them at all um, is really adds a little bit of extra flavor and fun to whatever it is that we're doing. So something that I know that you've done a little bit of work on um, is, uh, you know, I, I, the idea of um, the kinds of relationships that we've had, our attachment styles, and the role of those in kind of understanding a person's sexual fantasies. And why I bring that up is because, um, I, I mean, depending on your school of thought, um, attachment style has a lot to do also with um, the, uh, the kinds of relationships that you have, how you feel in those relationships, and um, pretty much in all of the scenarios areas in your life. So is there, um, uh, what is the role of attachment in understanding why a person might have a particular kind of sexual fantasy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your attachment style is really just generally the way that you approach relationships. And there are different kinds of attachment styles. The, the main ones I looked at are uh, attachment anxiety and attachment avoidance. Attachment anxiety is basically the degree to which you feel, you know, kind of insecure in your relationship. You're worried about being abandoned and you need a lot of reassurance from your partner. And attachment avoidance is really where you have this discomfort with emotional intimacy and with getting close to someone else. And so I see that people who are high in anxiety versus high in avoidance are having different kinds of fantasies. So for example, if you're somebody who's high in attachment avoidance and you're uncomfortable with intimacy, um, you're less likely to fantasize about uh, a current partner and somebody that you know really well, right? And more likely to fantasize about somebody where you've got some emotional distance. Um, Mm. People with attachment avoidance, uh, you know, have more fantasies just in general about totally emotionless sex, right? Uh, Mm. Because they're uncomfortable with that intimacy. Now, on the other hand, for people who have a very anxious attachment style, they need a lot of reassurance and and validation from their partners. Um, They tend to play it safe in their fantasies, right? They have a lot more sort of passion and romance fantasies where their partner is making it clear that they really want them. Um, They're less likely to fantasize about trying new and different things because there's some uncertainty involved there and they don't know what's going to happen. So uh, uh, they tend to play it much safer in their fantasies. Uh, They also tend to change themselves in their fantasies more, which I think is really interesting. So they, they almost picture themselves as a different person, which I interpret as a way of, um, you know, sort of distancing themselves from their anxiety in a way that allows them to just sort of relax and enjoy the fantasy scenario. Interesting. And what, how, what is the role of self-esteem in all of this? Um, or, you know, feelings of insecurity. Is there, you know, um, a, a difference in people who maybe are a bit more insecure, kind of like what you were saying with attachment as well, uh, in the kinds of sexual fantasies that they might have? Yeah, and I find that 
you know, people who are high in attachment anxiety, people who are low in self-esteem, and also people who are high in a personality trait called neuroticism, which mm-hmm. is a, a trait where there's more emotional instability. They don't deal with stress very well. I find that these three kinds of people tend to be pretty similar in their fantasies and that they just generally tend to play it safer. They're not going out and pushing the boundaries and trying new things. And they're also changing themselves more in their fantasies. They're picturing themselves as having uh, a different body type or shape. They're changing their genital appearance. They're changing their personality. And I think they're, they're kind of doing it in all of these ways that um, just sort of make them feel better about themselves and allow them to enjoy the sex without getting hung up on their insecurities. Interesting. And I mean, can having these kinds of sexual fantasies where you are, I guess, um, uh, playing a different role or you're, you're changing yourself in some way that makes you feel better about um, all of that can, I mean, can doing that kind of thing or even just like experimenting with your sexual fantasies help you ex- or help anyone explore um, their sexuality in a different way that maybe, you know, actually doing it uh, could not potentially do for them? I think so, you know, and I think that's ultimately why people are changing themselves is it's a way of just sort of creating that little psychological distance or buffer that they need where they can kind of go out and explore and imagine what different sensations or experiences might be like. And when they do this in their fantasy, you know, they can also give themselves greater feelings of self-confidence, right? Mm -hmm. That, That allow them to explore and try different things. So so our fantasies are almost therapeutic in this way, right? Where we're just trying to deal with our current psychological issues um, so that we can relax and enjoy sexual stimulation. Ooh, I love that you said that it's therapeutic. It, you're just inviting everybody to get like really busy with their sexual fantasies right now. It's like as, as therapy, that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Maybe you're not doing it. I'm inviting everyone <laughs> to start to have those kinds of sexual fantasies. Um, just to, yeah, I, I mean, for me personally, it is beneficial. Um, I, you know, what are some other ways that it might be beneficial for people to have sexual fantasies or an active uh, imagination when it comes to sex? Yeah, I mean, our fantasies do a lot for us. And one of the things that I asked people about was, why do you have sexual fantasies? And you see that people are reporting a whole bunch of different reasons. One is that they're they're just horny, right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, fantasies are a way that we just can seek fulfillment of uh, sexual, you know, arousal. Uh, sometimes people also fantasize just because they're bored. They have nothing else to do. So fantasies are a way to, to pass the time. Yeah. Uh, Fantasies are also a form of stress relief, right? So it's a way that we can relax maybe at the end of the day to uh, unwind. Um, Fantasies are also a way that people can focus during a sexual encounter, right? So if you're somebody who is prone to distraction, um, focusing on your fantasy during sex can allow you to maintain arousal and and reach orgasm in a way that you might not otherwise be able to, right? Because it gives you that sort of sense of of focus, right? So I think people tap into their fantasies in different scenarios for different reasons, and they serve a wide range of purposes. Oh, that's great. Oh, wow. Look how good for your health it is, guys. (laughs) Everybody get started. (laughs) If you're not already doing it, which most of you are anyways, just uh, keep doing it. So if having um, an active, I guess, uh, sexual imagination or having, you know, fantasizing about sex uh, can be potentially positive, um, conversely, could suppressing your fantasies have a negative um, effect on your health? Sure. And so when people are uncomfortable with their fantasies, we find that one of the things that they often try to do is to suppress them. They try to intentionally not think about them. And one of the things we know from social psychology is that when people try to suppress thoughts, it has this ironic effect of making them think about it even more. (laughs) And, you know, if this is a thought that is distressing to you, then you ultimately sort of become obsessively preoccupied with it. And that can be damaging and detrimental to your mental health. So it's actually much better and much healthier to try to come to terms with your fantasy, try to accept it as part of the self rather than just suppress it and try to run away from it. I mean, that sounds easier said than done. Um, what, it, like you, you mentioned before, as far as like sexual fantasies go, um, you know, a, a lot of people tend to fantasize, for example, about their exes. Um, mm-hmm. 
Now, if you've had a negative relationship, for example, and you are experiencing um, continued sexual fantasies about them, and there's like obviously a negative feeling that you have when you're doing it, um, how can someone handle uh, that kind of thing? Um, if, you, you know, suppressing it is not a, an option, um, you know, coming to terms with that, um, it, like I said, sounds, it sounds like the logical thing <laughs> to do. Um, but how can someone uh, really do that when it comes to um, kind of uh, working through your mental uh, sexual repertoire? <laughs> um, okay, so this is one of those areas where, you know, it's complicated and it, it sort of depends on the fantasy and there's not really... Um, a, a simple or easy answer there. Uh, you know, what I would say is that if you have a fantasy that is really distressing to you, um, to the point where it's interfering with everyday life and so forth, that's the kind of case where you would want to talk to a professional about it who can provide help in terms of how you would go about managing that fantasy. And you know, different people might try different approaches, right? So there's no one size fits all solution there. But I think if it's really, really distressing to the point where it's it's damaging your mental health, you feel depressed and anxious and so forth, you know, that's where you want to get professional help. Um, I think, you know, most of the time people are able to kind of manage this on their own. Um, you know, and part of it is if, you know, you're fantasizing about an ex and that's bothering you, um, part of it is just kind of giving it time and, um you know, sort of creating some distance between that breakup and, and, and so forth. And so it's not the case that everybody's going to need mental health care if they're, you know, say dealing with an ex fantasy. Um, maybe instead it's seeking social support uh, from friends and other people that they can talk through those emotions with. And I mean, just a thought here, but maybe, you know, um, trying to expand uh, your mind a little bit and trying to fantasize about different things yeah. uh, actively, like kind of put, pushing yourself a little bit to fantasize about uh, different things, different scenarios, different people, obviously that still turn you on. You're not talking about like, you know, um, just making up fantasies about any old thing, um, but maybe that could help um, a little bit dilute the effect of the other fantasies that you're having that you might not really be wanting to have. Sure. And I, I get a lot of people who approach me wanting to get rid of a certain type of fantasy that they have. And getting rid of a fantasy, I think, is very hard to do. But something you can do is create new fantasies. And so focusing more on developing new sexual interests uh, is probably a healthier way to go rather than trying to overwrite uh, you know, a previous type of fantasy. Oh, great. All right, guys. So everyone who's listening right now, your exercise, um, whether, you know, you are already actively fantasizing about sex or not, is uh, fantasize about sex. <laughs> and tell me all about it. I want to hear all of your questions uh, and all of your perverted little thoughts. And I will tell you very soon how you can get in touch with me. But first, um, how can everybody get in touch with you, Justin, after this? You have so much going on. Uh, what are some of your, your next projects? Um, and how can we uh, connect with you? Sure. Uh, I run a blog called Sex and Psychology, which you can visit at sexandpsychology.com. Uh, and I update it every week with reports on the latest sex research. There are also opportunities if you want to participate in a sex study uh, that you can do that on my site. Uh, you can also find links on there to all of my books uh, and um, research papers if you're interested in you know, consulting the actual science itself. So uh, the website is really the, the best place to go. Oh, awesome. And we're going to have all those links available for all of you um, whenever uh, whenever you come to uh, SDC and uh, on Voice America as well. So be sure to check those out. And I just want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, it's a long time coming. I'm so excited. And uh, thank you really so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you to everyone for listening. Tune in on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Variety Channel for my next show. Stay up to date with my podcast. You can also download and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. And come get lectual with me on social media. You can find me at Lexi Silver. That's Lexi with an I, Silver with a Y, on Twitter and Instagram, and on Facebook at Get Lectual. 
I want to hear all of your questions and I will be happy to answer them in my following shows. So be sure to tune in for those. And don't forget, you could learn more about sex, health and relationships as you seek yourself, discover together and create moments at SDC.com. Don't forget to use my promo code 7070 to get two months free at SDC. That's 7070 to get two months free at SDC.com. And thank you all for joining me, Lexi Silver on Seek, Discover, Create. Until next time, stay lectual, people. Bye. We appreciate you joining us on Seek, Discover, Create, presented by SDC.com. Please join your host, Lexi Silver, on another erotic journey next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, may you enjoy exploring your sexuality. We'll be right back.